We're going nuclear with Ed Smith on today's Renew Gurus. Hello out there in podcast world. This is Renew Gurus, your source for all things energy policy and politics in Missouri and beyond. I'm Executive Director James Owen coming to you live on tape from a undisclosed location in Columbia, Missouri, joined on the boards by uh, Philip Frasica from his undisclosed location in Kansas City. Hi, Philip. Hey, it's uh, it's been a while since we've done one of these, so good to see you. Oh, I know. That's our little joke, isn't it? We've been doing a couple of these. Uh, I'm really just stockpiling until January 20th so I can hide <laughs> from the impending apocalypse. Just kidding. Um, folks, we've got a guest on here I've, I've been wanting to have on for a while. Um, Ed Smith, our friend... Someone I've worked with uh, oh, for a couple of years now, at least since I've been um, uh, since I've been working at Renew Missouri. I don't know if I ever worked with him when I was at uh, Office of Public Counsel, generally because I was uh, <laughs> just hiding from Spire most of the time when I was there. Um, no, I'm kidding. We love you, Spire. I do now. Um, but no, Ed. Yeah, yeah. Ed is uh, Ed is a guy who's been around for a while. He's been doing a lot of work on environmental issues in Missouri. Uh, he's uh, worked with the Missouri Coalition for the Environment. That's how we know him. Uh, also a fellow, um, a fellow former Springfieldian. I mean, I guess you're kind of a Springfieldian. You went to school there. Oh, yeah. Uh, absolutely love my time at SMS when I started in Missouri State yeah. by the time I graduated. Missouri State. Uh, yeah, that's right. Um, that changed in 05. Correct. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So that was a big deal upsetting to a lot of people in Columbia, which is just crazy to me, but I don't know. That's a whole other podcast. Um, yep. So, so yeah, so Ed, um, you, yeah, you worked when you were uh, Missouri Coalition for the Environment I and mean, what you, your, your, your most recent position there was as policy director, right? Correct. And so basically yeah. you were kind of in charge of lobbying for MCE in that role. Yeah. I was a kind of a jack of all trades at the Coalition for the Environment. I actually got my start uh, working on a very specific legislative issue related to nuclear power financing in 2011 that Amron was pushing. Um, and just in a, in a bit of poetic uh, time at MCE, uh, I was able to book in my career starting on that issue. And then like literally my last day uh, at MCE was one of the last hearings before COVID shut everything down in the legislature testifying against a bill that would repeal Missouri's ban on construction work in progress. Yeah, it's, that is interesting you mentioned that. That was the last time I was in the Capitol building and that was like March 5th or 6th of last year. I think that's something like that. Um, because then you had the next week was the big, I remember the big day, March 11th, when the NBA shut down and Tom Hanks got COVID and Sarah Palin was on The Masked Singer. That was a wild day. And then and everything- It feels like forever happened. ago. It does. It does, but it is relevant now, and, and you know, because as we're we're taping this, the legislator legislative session is starting. Uh, it's in full swing by the time this is going to get uh, broadcast. It's the hundred and first legislative session, and this issue keeps coming up. Uh, it is, I think you call it, it is construction work in progress, or quip, and you know, just to kind of you know kind of conceptually kind of tell me if I, I miss anything on this. I mean, basically 
Uh, back in 76, 1976. Proposition one. Yeah, before I was born, which tells you how long ago it was, um, voters in Missouri went to the ballot and this was on, this is a ballot initiative. And basically it was, it, the basic concept is this, all right, in Missouri right now, under the way utilities are regulated, they can't seek any kind of recovery on capital expenditures or investments. Like if they build a power plant or they, uh, they build uh, like, let's say a wind farm, they can't come and, and, and get rate payers to cover any of that until it's, it's done until it's used and useful. I mean, that's, that's kind of part of it. And so, and that all kind of comes from this concept of construction and work in progress, because that is that concept that in some states you can seek recovery on the construction of power plants before they're finished, before they're put in service, before you even get a you know snippet of power from them. And did I get close on that, Ed? That's, that's pretty darn close. Um, it's a, 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 a finer way of saying is it, yeah. saying it is uh, socializing the risk on captive monopoly utility customers and privatizing profits for shareholders. Right, right. Yeah, rejected, rejected by uh, voters and as, but as lawmakers are want to tell you, uh, they also, they don't, they don't really have to listen to voters when they made that decision. If they feel things have changed or they feel things are different, uh, they'll, they'll, they'll tell you. Now, I mean, I, I should point out another thing before we start talking about your history with this or the evolution of this. Um, you know, it, it, tell me if I'm wrong here, but Callaway, the Callaway plant in uh, Callaway County that Amron were, well, okay, wait. I want to go back again on this. And Philip, you can edit all this out. I don't care. But like, really, like this applies to almost any kind of power plants, but it is mainly used for nuclear power, right? Correct. Why is that? Why, why is it? Why is this concept so uniquely connected to nuclear power, Ed? Well, that's a good question, James. And the, the short answer is that the uh, nuclear industry in its infancy was so risky and expensive that the government was pumping a lot of money into Adams for Peace and shortly thereafter under Eisenhower, uh, utilities were uh, getting basically government-backed insurance in case of a, a nuclear disaster to help uh, ease some of the risks of building the earliest nuclear reactors. Uh, one would might even call that a subsidy that the industry still enjoys today. And eventually, um, you know, reactors, about 50% of all proposed nuclear reactors have never generated a kilowatt of electricity in this country. They've either died on the, uh, the, the kind of conceptual table of a nuclear reactor, and some have uh, even recently uh, been canceled after billions of dollars have been spent. So the, 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 business of building a nuclear reactor is just inherently risky because you cannot get it wrong given the grave consequences of a problem. Right. And uh, that just, it led to uh, a, a lot of construction delays, cost overruns, and then eventually folks on Wall Street stopped putting their money into building nuclear reactors because it's too risky even for the bankers on Wall Street. I want to go back to something you said. Did you say 50%? Uh, 
about yes, about 50% of all proposed nuclear reactors uh, never met completion. And that trend is even worse if you look at the last 15 years. Yeah, and we'll and we'll get to that. I, I didn't. Right. Oh my gosh, I had no idea it was that high. I mean, I I went to law school in Kansas, and there's a big, uh, you know, I think Wolf Creek is the big nuclear power. It's plant. the sister plant to Callaway. They have yeah. the same design. Yeah, yeah, and that's that's always like that was big talk in a lot of our regulatory law classes and that sort of thing. But okay, so yes, nuclear power is really expensive. It's really capital intensive, uh, more so than coal plants, more so than renewable energy. Uh, generators, I mean, certainly more um, when you're, because you are talking about not just the building, the plant, but you're talking about you have to cool this stuff off. You've got to store it somewhere. I mean, this is really intense. Yeah. And for all intents and purposes, the conversation we're having today is just about the building of a nuclear reactor. Not I don't think we're going to get thing. into the I don't think we're going to get into the weeds of who pays for a disaster or long-term waste storage. Those questions are still being figured out, yeah. uh, unfortunately. And um, today is about the economics of actually building yeah. a nuclear yeah. reactor, which are silly. Yeah, right. And I think I wanted to get all that out of the way because I, because the important thing is we only have one nuclear power plant in Missouri. That's Callaway. Um, it was. It was. Did it? start before this ballot initiative was passed or did it start after that? What was the timeline there? Yeah, Callaway was, uh, if I, I don't have all the numbers in front of me, so uh, forgive me if I'm wrong, but it started in the mid 60s. Okay. It reached completion around, or excuse me, it started in the mid 70s, um, around 1973 and it reached completion and started service in 1984. I know yeah. that because that was the year I was born. So Callaway nuclear reactor and I share a birthday, um, birth year at least. Do anything together. Um, <laughs> so it, it, it took about 10 years to build Callaway one, maybe a little bit longer. And then Ameren was able to finance that through the traditional means, not using construction work in progress back when it was able to raise private capital to build that reactor. And the PSC, as I understand, allowed some cushion to uh, defray, you know, $3 billion of, of to, to stop a rate shock. So they kind of spread yeah. that $3 billion of the final cost over several years. Um, uh, so long story short, regarding 1976 and why voters opposed uh, using construction work in progress to build nuclear reactors is that Union Electric, now Ameren, uh, had proposed Callaway 2, and it was going to use QIP to right. finance a second nuclear reactor. Voters overwhelmingly rejected the idea of socializing the cost of a nuclear reactor, and Union Electric ended up scrapping uh, the plans for a second right. nuclear power plant next to Callaway. Yeah, so we kind of exist from 1984 where we're using this. I mean, it doesn't produce, I mean, it. I, you know, I was trying to like look at the generation mix. It doesn't produce a lot of power compared to coal or, or anything like that for Ameren. What's, I mean, what's its percentage? It's, it's at about 1200 megawatts. Um, I, I believe it came online around a thousand megawatts and then you know, there, there are some uprates that happened over time to increase the efficiency of the reactor. So 
I believe it's operating at around 1200 megawatt capacity okay. right now. Yeah. I mean, and you know, Ameren it, right now is are building wind farms that can produce 600 megawatts, 700 megawatts. I mean, you know, there's, you know, and those are not <laughs> it's nearly as expensive. Um, yeah. So, but then, okay, so we're going, we're humming along 1984 to, I think you said 2011. I think my mind is betraying me a little bit because I thought it no, was like, 2009 is the first year that yeah. Ameren pursued um, a legislative attempt to undo construction work in progress. That's when yeah. the utility, you know, probably was a little more ambitious than and thought it would be a little more legislatively palatable than it was. Uh, consumers and consumer groups, both big industrial, small interest consumer groups, environmental organizations, all opposed Ameren's uh, pursuit to, to repeal Missouri's ban on QIP in 2009. And then in 2011, Ameren came back to the legislature with a uh, sort of camel's nose in the tent effort to repeal slowly erode the consumer protections of our ban on QUIP. Uh, Ameren actually uh, promoted it as preserving the nuclear option, which is the only time I think in history that the nuclear option has ever been referred to as a good thing, yeah. supposedly. Um, yeah. and, and so they wanted to, to, it was called early site permit legislation. They wanted to get $60 million of ratepayer money in advance to help pay for the early site permit, knowing that if it were to get the early site permit and build a reactor in the future, it would have to come back to the legislature and say, hey, we've already cut, we've already started this process, now give us more. Right. That was the legislative tactic in 2011. So why in 2009, I mean, well, I mean, do you, I mean, I know you said they were ambitious, they were like trying to expand, I mean, but do you, I mean, was there anything specific about that year? Was it about, an increase in need for power or an increase in demand that required them to look at having a second nuclear power plant there? I mean, do you recall? Uh, I think there, there, there were a couple of factors. So uh, in, in the mid 2000s, there was a lot of push from the nuclear industry and it was, you know, like the mid 2000s to, to early 2010s were dubbed the so-called nuclear renaissance. And the nuclear renaissance never happened. Uh, there's one reactor on a lifeline that's being built in Georgia. Every other proposed reactor from the 2000s and early 2010s has uh, been canceled <laughs> in line with the, the history of building nuclear yeah. So they're kind of looking at a trend that was going on that has not really bore out. Yeah, I think, you know, especially in 2009, um, you, you, you had President Obama come into the White House, probably expecting some type of carbon uh, or utility regula regulations through Congress, which actually never really happened. The you know mm -hmm. the the three big Obama agenda items in his first two years were healthcare, banking reform, and climate change. And climate change didn't get across the finish line in Congress. Right. Yeah, I mean, and I know that there was a lot of effort for that. And, you know, there's belief that maybe there were some, you know, conservative Democrats and conservative states that didn't help that. But then, then again, Barack Obama is a Democrat from a coal producing state, too. And a heavily <laughs> yeah. nuclear dependent state. 
Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, I, I don't want to say like he was, I mean, because I mean, I think he has clear conviction about it, but I don't think he was, uh, I mean, I think he saw some practicality to not pushing that the way he did with healthcare and with, and we were dealing with a banking crisis at the time. I'm actually reading, I got Barack Obama's autobiography or his, at least his book about the presidency, which is I think volume one, which yeah. is because it's 700 pages, but I'm reading it now and it's going through all the tarp stuff and everything. So that's interesting. Um, so yeah, so so there was this there was this push by Amron then, and now and so like and since then since 2009 since 2011, I mean the thing that you know you know I've been mindful of as far as trends go in utility rate making and energy policy is we have very flat demand here in Missouri. You are not seeing a lot of increase in demand, and I will say part of that I think is because utilities have wisely started looking more to things like energy efficiency. In 2009, they got the Missouri Energy Efficiency Investment Act, which um, uh, our podcast listeners have heard us talk about. We are very supportive. Renew Missouri is very supportive of that. Uh, we're very supportive of, of the investments the utilities have made in that, which has saved approximately, and Philip can chime in because I think he knows more about this than I do. I think it's saved about a power plant and a half of power that we would have otherwise produced in 10 or 11 years. Pretty good, not bad. Uh, might prevent us from, and I think that there's there's an argument that be made, and I think maybe you and I talked about this a little bit last year, there's an argument that be made that the reason they did put more into energy efficiency was because they weren't having to rely on a second power plant, a second nuclear power plant. Um, and I, I will say, I think it's been a good investment for them. I think it's been good for the state. Um, and I think Airman and Evergy would certainly argue it's been good for them. Liberty, were, I think they're going to be, they have, they have tried to file MIA filings, but it's not been successful. I think they're going to take another run at it. I hope that's not confidential. <laughs> Philip, maybe edit that out if it is. Uh, <laughs> and then we'll have to kill I think Ed. you're good. Okay, we'll have to kill Ed because we weren't supposed to tell him. Um, just kidding. No, I know. Yeah, sorry. Sorry. Thanks for joining our podcast. Um, but then, <laughs> so then we, we, we go, we jump another nine years. And then last year, last session, well, maybe we should back up before that, because this was something you were involved with. Um, I do this all the time when talking about nuclear. I'm like, I'm ready to talk about the next thing. And hold on. There's another, yeah. there's another side path to, a, to go down because it's so, the history yeah. is so developed and complex and we had what seemed like a very unusual uh administrative meeting last uh, not last fall in in fall of 2019 where the air conservation commission the fall of 20 yes the fall of 2019 correct it was in november of 2019 i think uh i think there was like kind of some emails that went around about it like we we just kind of found out the last minute uh, the Air Conservation Commission, which is under DNR, it's a group of uh, civilian uh, members, they introduced- Appointed by the governor. Yeah, they're appointed by the governor. They introduced a resolution to support a measure for, to, to, to tell the legislature to support QIP, right? That is exactly right. And, and I have some, some stuff to fill in on that, if you will. Please. Like. <laughs> All right. So yeah, what 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 happened is that um, 
you know, we had gotten to the point that Ameren had stopped pursuing legislative efforts to either erode or repeal our ban on construction work in progress. Yeah. Uh, CWIP for, for folks maybe tuning in or forgot the acronym. And what happened is that there is a member of the Air Conservation Commission who's also a member of the Missouri Farm Bureau who is quite fond of nuclear power and- uh, Boyer, is, Ron Moyer, something like that. Uh, Boyer, I believe. Yeah. Um, and so what happened is, you know, there was this, uh, he penned an op-ed that was published by the Farm Bureau, which eventually became a resolution uh, before the commission directing the Missouri legislature to repeal Missouri's ban on construction work in progress. And the interesting thing about that is that the Missouri Air Conservation Commission, which is like 50 plus years old, has never directed the Missouri legislature on any energy policy previously. And that the only time that the Air Conservation Commission is on the record of passing a resolution directing the legislature to do some was related to uh, automobile tailpipe emissions because the legislature the, the legislature needed to promulgate uh, to pass and the Air Conservation Commission was gonna be responsible for promulgating what that program is. And it's still a program that's in existence today, the Gateway Vehicle Emissions Program or Inspection Program. Um, and so it, it was unprecedented, unprecedented is where I'm going with this in, in what the Air Conservation Commission did regarding energy policy um, even more, uh, it ignored the fact that uh, Ameren had stopped pursuing uh, uh, a nuclear reactor legislatively. And it also you know, ignored the will of the people because as you mentioned in Prop, uh, Proposition 1 passed in 1976, banning construction work in progress. But also the one thing that we're leaving out regarding you know, mass uh, public opinion about energy options in Missouri is that voters overwhelmingly approved a renewable energy standard that excluded nuclear power in 2008. Yeah. So um, for all of those reasons, it just seemed not the right time and place to uh, have the Air Conservation Commission pass this resolution, which it eventually did 5-0, and it ended right. up becoming a bill introduced by a representative from Springfield, where the, the Farm Bureau uh, and, and Air Conservation Commission member resides. And boy, uh, his name, I just looked it up. Yeah. And he, he's from Fairgrove, which is not very far from where I was born and raised. Um, I don't know what his background is. I feel like my parents told me once we went to church with him, but that is also the same church that John Black goes to, who is the is state the rep sponsor from Marshfield, yep. who sponsored this legislation last year and this year. Correct. Ooh, I just came up with so, like a connector uh, there. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I mean, all, all of this does to say is that it's a, a priority of the Farm Bureau and not the utilities, which is odd, to yeah. say the least, right. um, that this is, you know, that the, the Farm Bureau is pushing utility regulation that utilities don't want. Um, <laughs> 
and maybe Ameren does want it, it'd be great if they had it, but they don't need it right now. And, and the reason that they don't want it or need it right now is because nuclear is incredibly cost prohibitive yeah. and renewable energy is incredibly affordable. And the, the reason that Ameren announced in its latest IRP, Integrated Resource Plan in, in 2020, that it was planning to spend billions of dollars on renewable energy over the next, uh, next decade, is, the, is because Ameren didn't go down this financial black hole of building a nuclear reactor in the late right. 2000s, early 2010s. Yeah, yeah, I mean, and, and that that's right. I mean, this was, um, it is weird. I mean, like Farm Bureau, I mean, I, I've not been doing energy policy for very long. I've only been doing it for about five years. Um, Farm Bureau was very involved with trying to kill the, the Grain Belt Express. Um, there was a big concerted effort to, uh, introduce legislation to undo what the Public Service Commission had approved. Um, and I and I kind of, I sort of understand that rationale. Uh, you know, if you are interested, I mean, there are a lot of property owners along that line who were concerned about, you know, losing, uh, you know, value to their property, having that condemned. I, I mean, listen, I, I support Grain Belt. I think it's a great project. I think it's really important in Missouri. I get the other side of the argument. I get why farmers don't like it. My parents had yep. a transmission line built over their property by a cooperative GNT, and my parents fought that in court, and and ultimately they had to take it, right? So that's how that works. Yep. Um, but so, but then they get involved with this, and I understand it's it's probably a pet project of one of their vocal members, and maybe that's it. I mean, I don't know. I mean, I'm just going to say this, Ed, you can stay quiet on this. I'll say this because I am a farm kid. Uh, my parents are farmers. My dad, God rest his soul. He said this, he passed away a couple months ago, so you can't blame him now. But he basically said he thought Farm Bureau was just an insurance. I mean, it's just an insurance aid. It's just an insurance company that kind of has this, you know, kind of this um, lost leader of being about farm policy. But my dad always said it was just for farmers who didn't have enough to do. So I'll leave that out there because <laughs> that's what my dad said. Okay. So you can take, you can, you can, I'll just leave that as part of his everlasting legacy. Uh, and it just, it does seem weird to me that that is something that the Farm Bureau is trying to push because when we went to that hearing, uh, Ed, you and I testified against this bill as did members of the industrial consumer groups, um, you know, a lot of big industri industrial customers don't like this idea. Uh, there was not a single uh, investor-owned utility there supporting this. Uh, this doesn't apply to municipal utilities. This doesn't apply to cooperatives. So it's not really relevant to them. But Ameren wasn't there. Evergy wasn't there. Liberty wasn't there. But the Farm Bureau was there. Yep, the Farm Bureau and the Nuclear Energy Institute. Uh, and, the, and the big nuclear energy folks flew in with their fancy suits from DC. Yeah. And rose colored glasses. They, they remember That's to bring those. <laughs> and then ultimately, you know, we had this hearing and it got pretty heated at times. Uh, but it, and it took forever. I can't, I mean, I remember it seemed like we were delayed because they were having a debate on the House floor about. I don't know, I wanna say about transgender bathrooms or something important like that. And uh, we were down there in the basement and it was kind of like during that, like that iffy time where we we're like, should we all be in here? Um, but we didn't get done till like eight o'clock that night. And they still had another bill to do because all the uh, co-op folks were there with a bill after that. And um, then it never got voted on, I don't think. I don't think it ever got voted on, but then, but then 
Ed, I don't know if you remember this. It got slipped into a, a, another bill. I think it was like Senate Bill 730. It, it, you know, kind of the legislature closes for five or six weeks. They all come back and then they try to cram everything into about 10 bills, including one that was involving kind of about utilities and regulations uh, and energy regulations. And they put this in there without even having a committee vote. Yeah, um, there, there's a, there's... It's surprising how much that happens with things that the majority party supports, but when it comes to doing something similar, like adding an amendment that maybe hadn't gone through a committee hearing, uh, if you know, then the, the, the majority party is also happy to tell you that process matters, and you know that <laughs> amendment can't can't go yeah. on to something. So, yeah, it's it's incredibly frustrating when a, a massive, supremely consequential rate making uh, bill uh, is not voted on in committee and then is added on as an amendment on the floor and passed no and goes over to the Senate. Correct. There was no debate. I was watch. I was listening to that and there was no argument about it at all. It was just, and maybe they thought it wasn't going to go anywhere. They thought it was going to, I mean, I don't know, but it still to me shows that they know this idea really can't withstand scrutiny. That's what it seems like to me. But now we have it again. It's filed again. Uh, Representative John Black, uh, who is, who does represent part of Springfield. He is from Marshfield. Uh, he represents the uh, the western half of Webster County and a little bit of Greene County, or I guess maybe like a big chunk of Greene County. Um, he has filed this. Now, I mean, you know, one of the things that, because so it's going to be out there, and I don't know what the legislative session is going to look like this year. You're not a lobbyist anymore, right? Nope. Good for you. I kind of miss it. <laughs> <laughs> um, it, you know, it, you know, it, it is, I, I suspect that there's a lot of big non-energy related topics that are going to be discussed this year. When I look at some of the other things that are being dealt with, it doesn't seem like energy is like a big focus uh, for people, but this is out there. And so, you know, and right now, um, uh, well, I'll, you know, we, we have a lot of, I mean, I'll, I'll just say this, we have a lot of transition with Missouri Coalition for the Environment. There's a lot of transition at Sierra Club. You know, there's a lot of people that are, we're still trying to fill in spots in these places. So we are, you know, we're working really hard to make sure that we have everything covered and we're working with all of our allies on this to make sure that bad bills don't go anywhere, that good bills get traction and get some sunlight. So we're working very hard on this. I'm working uh, with like people like Michael Berg at Sierra Club and Afshuk Gupta at NRDC on these issues. But with Quip, that's scary to me because I know it's not a high priority for people, but it almost like it's so not a high priority that somebody might be like, well, this is no big deal. We'll just slip this on to something. But it is a big deal. I mean, it's a, very, it's a, it's a, it's, it's a billions of dollars big yeah. deal. Now, now, Ed, you 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 talked a lot in your testimony about other states. I mean, there are other states that allow for this sort of thing, and it's yeah, poorly there. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's right. And so, you know, when Amron was pushing for this, there were other states who, maybe a year or two before two thousand nine, were mostly in the southeast, were able to uh, uh, get their legislature to pass construction work in progress in order to build new nuclear reactors. And so uh, the three states that, that really stand out are Florida, South Carolina, and Georgia. 
And so in Florida, the uh, utility down there recovered something like $2 billion from its ratepayers, including money that went to shareholder dividends. And that project never even started construction and ratepayers were unable to get their money back um, after, after lots of court, uh, court battles. There's a state senator, Mike Fasano. He's actually the fellow who uh, was the uh, sponsor of that bill in Florida, who eventually came to Missouri to testify against Quip after the problems that it had caused in Florida. And he, he was, uh, you know, I don't like the term flip flop because it sounds, it just, it, it, it's a very static thing, but he, you know, he, he evolved. He saw yeah. what he saw the, the, the fact that it was, taking money away from folks on low and fixed incomes who need that money for food, utilities, prescription drugs, and going to a monopoly utility and its shareholders for uh, a project that may or may not ever happen. And, and as you pointed out earlier, the build time on nuclear reactors is 10 plus years. Yeah. So you have people who will literally perish from existence during the construction of that nuclear project that they're paying into and will never, you know, realize the supposed benefits of uh, lower, uh, lower, lower electricity rates in the future. Um, yeah. And, and I, I don't necessarily believe what I said, that's just an industry line. And so, um, and then in South Carolina, the uh, project there by the, the, the utility SCANA their project, they did collect money from ratepayers over $9 billion. That project was canceled maybe a year and a half or two years ago. They, they for a half finished nuclear, it was a two nuclear reactor project. Um, they recovered $9 billion from their customers, money went to their shareholders. Um, the, the FBI became involved after it appeared that utilities uh, leaders were lying to regulators and shareholders about the status of the project. Uh, one of the utility leaders just uh, is about to plead guilty uh, to the FBI for charges related to that scandal. Uh, Ratepayers got pennies back. Um, and there's actually a whole problem that just uh, a news story that came up last week about uh, there was a class action against the utility from the customers uh, who wanted their money back, rightfully so. Mm-hmm. Um, and some some people got mailed 35 cent checks uh, for the money that they put into uh, this nuclear project. Some got more, some yeah. were for three or four dollars and some were for a couple hundred. Uh, but it just goes to show the problems of these projects. And now we have the one remaining nuclear project that's under construction in Georgia. It's also a two nuclear reactor project. It's called Vodal. Uh, and it has enjoyed about $12 billion, B with a tw- B, capital B, $12 billion of, of uh, federal taxpayer money through the loan guarantee program at the United States Department of Energy. It has collected the remainder of the, the money. It's, it's the, the total project cost is somewhere between 25 and $27 billion right now. Wow. So the, the $14 billion above the, uh, the money that came from federal taxpayers is coming from current customers. Mm-hmm. And so the original price tag on, on that 
project was also around 12 to $14 billion and it's currently at 25 to $27 billion. So it just goes to show the cost overruns and construction delays when it comes to building nuclear reactors. Um, and, and it's just, it's ridiculous how long and, you know, just riddled with problems these, these projects can yeah. be. And that doesn't even mention, and I think that this is important to bring up too, in Ohio, they had a massive nuclear uh, power bailout, which was voted on a couple of years ago, which has now led to the Speaker of the House being indicted, a lot of like elected officials and utility executives like potentially looking at prison time because they, they literally had to go and get rid of a bunch of clean energy initiatives and pump a bunch of money into these nuclear power plants that were not able to sustain themselves. And yeah, and those were, and, and that's the, that's where the nuclear industry myth uh, is completely shattered. You know, back when I started doing this work in 2011, you, you know, you couldn't read a paragraph on the Nuclear Energy Institute's website without it saying something like, you know, once a reactor is built, it's cheap to operate. Well, the, the, the story yeah. you're talking about is a legislative effort to save nuclear reactors that were operational but couldn't compete when markets deregulated. Yeah. Uh, the same thing's happening in Illinois. You know, Mike Madigan is under investigation for, for impropriety due to, to Exelon pushing the same yeah. kind of legislation. So, uh, you know, uh, unfortunately, fracked natural gas is undercutting uh the, the cost of energy. There's a lot of problems there associated with the, uh, the, you know, renegade emissions, fugitive emissions, and the the the, the process from fracking to use. But uh, natural gas and not natural gas, frack gas, in, and um, renewables are incredibly affordable. And on the open market, they're way more competitive than nuclear and coal are right now. Yeah, that's right. And I mean, I, I just think that ultimately, when you look at the reality of the energy markets right now, and how we are becoming more interconnected with other parts of the country, how we're able to, you know, transmit all of those things, it just, it makes even less sense what we're talking about here. Uh, and I mean, I don't know. I mean, like, to me, it, we're, we're doing this. I mean, if, if the, if Ameren, if Evergy, if Liberty is interested in pursuing these things, they're, they're not very open about it. They, they don't seem to be really, don't really, I, I just, I find it hard to believe they're trying to push this. This just kind of feels like something that somebody has as an idea that's got the ear of some powerful people and that we're having to deal with it, no matter how bad of an idea it is. Yeah, and uh, re regarding the the latest efforts to revive construction work in progress in the legislature, what we heard in the hearing last year, especially from the Nuclear Energy Institute using its rose-colored glasses, is they were waxing poetic about the future of small modular reactors and uh, that this bill would be uh, that this bill could help pay for future SMRs, as they're called, small modular reactors. And, you know, the, the, the prop, the, the, we're seeing the same problems with SMRs as we uh, have seen with large-scale nuclear reactors. In fact, the original OG nuclear reactors back, back when we were doing atoms for peace and trying to use 
what was, uh, you know, uh, blood, sweat, and treasure building a nuclear weapons program to end World War II and weaponize against the USSR is how do we turn this, you know, massive weapon of death into something that uh, maybe might be beneficial in other ways. Um, And so that's when we got Atoms for Peace. That's when we started seeing the emergence of the nuclear industry. Those first reactors were really small. And the reason that they got bigger was because economies of scale. They needed larger reactors to make the economics make sense then. And now the, the, the thought is if we go back to these SMRs, they can be uh, turned out in a factory and sent all over the world and can produce anywhere between like 30 to 50, 60 megawatts of, of energy per reactor. Well, uh, Ameren tried to get in on the SMR action with the Department of Energy in Westinghouse around 2012, 2013, with the support of Governor Nixon at the time. And the DOE uh, did not choose Ameren as an awardee for uh, this grant to do SMR development. They gave it to a company out of Oregon. That company out of Oregon, New Scale, thought that they'd have an SMR ready by 2017. Um, it just got licensed and approved by the Nuclear Regulatory Commission. The first SMR is likely not to be ready uh, until 2027, where it's gonna go to the Idaho uh, 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 Energy Laboratory. And long story short, we're seeing cost overruns and delays in SMR similar to what we saw in the large large scale nuclear reactors. So um, circling back to the legislation, if, if we're not gonna see commercialized SMRs supposedly until 2030, which is the new scale SMR projections, let's, let's wait to have this conversation until 2029. I mean, what's the, what's the right. point of, of opening up customers' checkbooks to monopoly electric utilities in 2021 for something that's not even around the corner? Right. Yeah. I mean, absolutely. Every bill that you see or that, you know, I've seen that gets a lot of profile, high profile attention in Jefferson city is absolutely about minimizing shareholder risk and maximizing ratepayer risk. And, you know, it should be something lawmakers find intolerable, but look, Ameren, Evergy, Liberty, the co-ops have a lot of people walk in those hallways. Um, they are very good at what they do. Uh, they are convinced that, you know, unless the utilities are allowed to do this, we're just going to get so far behind. Um, yeah, it's, <laughs> it's amazing that the free market matters until it doesn't. Yeah, that's right. I mean, like, I, you know, there was, I mean, wh- whatever you want to say about deregulation, uh, Senator Leibla, I guess I'm now not a senator anymore, he pushed uh, for a resolution to put dere- energy deregulation, electric deregulation on a ballot, uh, which I just, you saw Republicans who were otherwise like, you know, we believe in the free market, as you said, and we believe in conserva- you know, conservative principles that would just be like, that is unacceptable. And it was so inconsistent with anything else they would say. I mean, I know consistency is a lot to ask for, but it, but it is, I mean, it just, it was, it was just wild to me to see that that, 
is something that uh, when you hear talk about small government and that sort of thing, that somehow monopolistic utilities don't have, they don't fit into that worldview of like what's wrong with government. Anyway, it's it's there's, a lot. I, mean, I, I, I think there's truth in what you're saying. <laughs> yeah, sure. I'll just leave it out there again. Um, Ed, uh, you've, you've been great. Um, I know we're kind of ending our time here. Is there anything you want to plug or promote since you've, uh, got this free platform here? Well, I would say go to Renew Missouri's website, make sure you are a donor and, uh, support the good work that you guys are doing. That's right. Because we talk about that lobbying. We cannot use any grant money for that. We cannot use any of the money that we get from some other contracts. So that comes from private donors like you all out there. Uh, we actually had a pretty good year-end appeal, but um, you know, if your if your business is interested in, in doing any kind of sponsorships or anything like us, we'd love to talk to you. Ed, thanks again uh, for all of your insight and your time. We really appreciate it. Um, My pleasure. This is Renew Gurus. Uh, if you like what you hear, subscribe to this on all major uh, podcast platforms. Write a review. Share it with your social media friends. Uh, and again, go to renewmo.org and um, sign up for our e-newsletter if you haven't already. Uh, on behalf of everyone here at Renew Missouri, I'm James Owen, and uh, we'll see you in the funny papers. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>